0: Hey there, I'm Drew Alvarez, and you're listening to the Discover Siskiyou podcast. Locally produced in beautiful, historic Dunsmuir, we highlight the best that California's north has to offer. We'll be talking about mountain biking, from the very beginnings of the sport to creating trails in Siskiyou today. We had the opportunity to talk to Steve Potts. If you're into biking, you probably already know his name. And even if you don't, then we can almost guarantee that you've used something he invented on one of your bike rides. He's a master of the bike building trade. You might not expect it from the humble exterior of his shop in Etna, California, but inside you'll find bespoke seat saddles, Italian leather, Japanese titanium, and what seems like hundreds of bike frames hanging from the walls and the ceiling. But even this giant in the biking community started off his love of biking as many of us do, just a little kid pedaling
1: around his neighborhood. My bicycle was kind of, uh, was a wonderful tool for me. I'm the youngest of five kids and my mom passed when I was eight years old. So my bicycle was my way of adventure. And I guess it was sort of my thing that I did that gave me, you know, comfort and mobility. And I kind of was discovering the Wild West as a little kid on my bicycle. Well, that's what I thought. I thought, I can't wait to show my dad what I discovered today, you know, (laughs) and
0: I know I still remember the sense of adventure I had when I was a little kid riding to the nearby lake. Even though it was only three miles away, everything felt so grand, so massive. Every little hill was a mountain, tumbleweeds were intimidating obstacles, and upon arriving at the lake, I knew I'd made the trek to this undiscovered land. Even though you could probably drive right up to the shore of the lake. As an adult, I still love riding my bike. It's something I look forward to and enjoy every time. We talked to Andrew Pelkoffer about why we keep biking, no matter how many tire punctures, broken chains, or ruined pant legs we've endured.
2: You know, you're feeling the environment, the sense of smell, the air across your skin, um, the temperature, and interacting with your community around you, right? Hey, what's, how's it going? You know, it's so easy on your bike to pull over to the sidewalk when you see a friend and be like, hey, what's up? You know, when you're in your car, you're like, ah. You know, you see them go by and you're know, like, uh, you, then you grab your phone, you're texting while you're driving, you know, like, hey, what's up, or let's meet up later. On your bike, it's super easy to interact with, with other people in the community. I think, you know, for me personally, my experiences with bike commuting and, and what I'm trying to bring to the community and share with others is joy. You know, it's like that sense of, you feel good after you ride your bike. There's something like I feel better than I would have if I would have driven. But I just feel better in general. Like I just was outside and I rode my bike and riding bikes is fun. It's just fun. I something about it. I'm glad somebody invented it a long time ago, you know, but they're cool. They're just, it's fun to ride bikes. And we live in a beautiful area too, where when you're riding, you're like, you look at the mountains and you get to experience the reason that you probably live here, you know, is that you like the outdoors. and So it, it just gives you a better way to interact with, with the outside.
1: I mean, I ride here all over dirt roads. I stop all the time to look out and go, I cannot believe how beautiful it is. I mean, I'll stop, take my shoes off, put my feet in the creek just to absorb, you know, that little bit. And you're gonna go out there and spend time riding and that's downtime so your brain's processing things and you're smelling the fresh air and it's healthy for you and it's clear thinking. And I'm not in the shape I was when I was younger, but I still ride every day. I still feel that love. And I bring my dog with me in the little basket. And um, we still see bears and mountain lions and, you know, wildlife. And, you know, for me, it's just um, it's a really good way to to slow down and and look up, you know, or it's yeah, it's, it's amazing.
0: There's more than one similarity between Steve and Andrew. Not only do they love biking, but they both shared flashbulb memories of the moment when something just clicked and they knew that their love of biking was a path they would follow for the rest of their lives, regardless of whether the industry even exists.
1: One reason I got into making bicycles, I took a trip to New Zealand in Australia and I rode every day anywhere from 80 to 130 miles with 60 pounds of gear on my bike. And I got connected to every person that I encountered Every stream that I stopped at, every swimming hole I jumped in, I wasn't distracted. You really get to absorb the beauty of the area. I got so into this that writing experience and just everything about it. I right then decided I'm going to do this for a living.
2: In the early 2000s, there's a a non-system user-created trail that comes down from the old Ski Bowl. And, you know, it's it's called the Entertainer. It's been there for a long time. And the old Ski Bowl down to town. And it was kind of Northern California's only and longest shuttle run for mountain bikes. I'd come up with friends and we would ride that. I distinctly remember sitting on my bike at the top of the trail after riding and be like, man, it would just be a dream come true to live here and build mountain bike trails. Just kind of way out there, total fantasy island type stuff. Like, there's no way that will ever happen. That's not a thing. (laughs) Like, You don't, this is early 2000s, this is not, trail building's not a career. It's not ever gonna be a career. Building mountain bike trails probably isn't a thing. And then fast forward 25 years or so, and I'm in a little excavator building trails in the forest of Mount Shasta. It is kind of like surreal, just to pause for a little bit and to think about realizing that dream.
1: People weren't even that into bikes. It was just sort of like, I didn't even know I could even sell a bike. So I said, I'm gonna make bikes and I don't know if anybody's gonna buy them, but I'm gonna do that. So I sold my home. I quit my job and I sold everything I owned. My truck, my windsurfer, I sold everything. And I bought a lathe and a mill and and some welding gear. And I rented a two-car garage for $35 a month. I slept in it for two years on a wooden tool bench with a kerosene heater and a blue rotary telephone, a water faucet in the Schwinn shop down the road for the bathroom, and an occasional shower at friends' houses. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it. And if I had two bucks for a burrito, I was totally happy. And um, all the ideas I had and all the things I wanted to make, it was like you couldn't, I I barely slept. I was just building stuff right and left. It was just one idea after another. It had a life of its own and just kind of, you know, it, it happened while I didn't know it was happening. You know, we started to be noticed and big companies started licensing our break our parts that we were making. and. You know, we designed tires for Specialized and it became just a world-class big business. And then me and my two buddies, Mark Slate and Charlie Cunningham, started Wilderness Trail Bikes, WTB. And, uh, you know, we started making tires, rims, saddles. We made the brakes, the headsets, the bottom brackets. And we kind of made everything.
0: Little did Steve know, he was creating the very beginnings of what would come to be a legendary career, shaping mountain biking into what we know it as today.
1: I'd say the first break we got was when Mike Sr. had specialized, you know, he knew we were completely nuts in bicycles. He said, "Um, you know, you guys want to make a a bicycle tire, a mountain bike tire. Nobody, there was really nothing out there. And this is kind of the infancy of mountain bikes. And we said, yeah, that'd be great. So just us, you know, one, two, three, four guys got together and we did a little, a little our very first contract on an eight and a half by 11 yellow piece of binder paper. And um, the stipulation was that Mike wants to design a tire, but he didn't want to pay any royalties on any of the designs that went on his own brand bike. And so we said, well, Mike, how are we gonna make any money on this? And we said, well, God, well, how many tires do you think we can sell? He goes, "Oh, we might be able to sell a thousand of them a year, maybe 1500. So long and short of it, the ground control tire was the biggest selling tire in world history. It sold more tires than I think all bicycle tires combined before that. So, and it won tons of world championships and we didn't really take much money on the royalty checks just to pay rent, but we grew our company. We started designing more tires and we designed bikes for Trek. Um, We did the grease guard system and the roller cam brake with Suntour. We did the bomber cages with Blackburn Sports, which is now Bell Sports. We worked with some great people. And so what happened is we just grew it and it, it was the joy of growing a business. A lot of people say, what's your goal? And some people say, my goal is to make a lot of money. Well, my goal was to make really good bikes and to turn people onto that. And I remember we had some products that we would would last forever, like the grease cart system, the way to selectively purge a bearing. It literally, I'm still riding on ones that I made 40 years ago. And I remember the head Shimano engineer said, that's not a very good business plan. He says, don't you want to sell them a new product next year? And I'm going, no, we want it to last forever. You know,
2: guys like Steve and and Gary Fisher and Mike at Specialized, you know, those guys, you know, I'm so stoked that they were like, followed their vision and their passion to make cool bikes.
1: We had a love for mechanical things. We liked to fix things and make things. And I think we just were lucky to want to make something better. Um, I remember we used to have, I used to have a, a special turn on one of my rides it was a really fast sweeping turn and when we made new tires i pushed around that corner as hard as i could to see when it would let go i always had this big row of bushes i could land in and i landed in them a lot i think it's just the inquisitive mind and it's why i still do things
2: it led to this whole thing that i get to do with building trails i own Trail Labs Co. It's a trail design planning construction company in Mount Shasta, based out of Mount Shasta as of last year. And we're working in the area specifically um, on the Gateway Phase Two trail expansion, which is you know, 45 miles of, we'll call it purpose-built multi-use trail. And the purpose-built part of that is it's really designed to, for mountain biking. Um, there isn't really any mountain bike-specific trails. Um, in general, in Northern California, That's kind of a, it's kind of a new thing. Um, the demand for mountain bike trails has been pretty high over the last 10 years, but the way trails get planned and built, it takes a while. I mean, I built trail in Europe, I built trail through California, in Washington, I built trail. And I would say this is the hardest place to build trail because it's so dry and the soils are so sensitive. There's very little room for error if you're looking for a finished product that's really high quality and is going to last. There's if you make mistakes, it's obvious right away that you did something wrong, maybe not to the user or even to the land manager, but as a builder, it drives you insane, you know, because you're seeking perfection, (laughs) and it's difficult to attain that.
0: Both Steve and Andrew approach their work as an art that leaves little room for error. For Andrew, it's the ground he rides on. For Steve, it's the frames he welts.
1: You have to do everything right with titanium. You can't fake it. It's like... It's got to be clean. It's got to fit perfectly The It's got to be fusion welded first. It's got to be purged correctly. You, you can't fudge it and then fry it, clean it, grind it and fix it. It's, it's either right or it's not. And actually what I really like about that, that's adds some good structure to my life. You've got to follow the rules type of thing. You know, it's sort of like kids. They want to know where the boundaries are. With titanium, you know where the boundaries are and there's just things you cannot do. And it's either right or it's not. You can't fake it. Everybody's gonna look at every weld they do on every bike and every nick and cranny, and it's gotta be right. Long and short of it, that's why I went to it. And it's incredibly, mechanically, it's just an incredible material. And it doesn't rust, it doesn't oxidize, and it's it's amazing. Very strong, clean, easy to take care of. It's brutal, it's wonderful material. There was a couple guys before me doing it that really paid their dues, and I learned a lot from them. And But there was never any lack of learning there. It was a constant battle to, to learn.
0: There's another shared value between Pell Coffer and POTS constant learning, constant innovation, and the never ending quest to create the best possible product.
2: I've been involved with the creation of three nonprofits over the years just with my passion for mountain biking and traveling around and riding and trails and stuff like that. And you know I started riding in the early 2000s mountain biking and there were, there was no mountain bike trails. you know it was you did road mountain bikes on trails that people hiked on and it was fun and there wasn't many mountain bikers I would say like in northern california if you saw another mountain biker on the trails in redding let's say you're like oh hey you know them and you're like oh hey what's up you know how you doing like Let me ride and then and you don't see anybody for a while and most rides were kind of solo and then i went to school down in san luis obispo and you know, I was getting more and more into mountain biking and um, what was happening there and kind of throughout California and other places was a lot of illegal trail building. Mountain bikes were really taking off popularity. You know, the industry's still trying to find its way as far as the type of bikes people wanted and the geometry and stuff like that. And the same thing was kind of happening with trails. It was like growing pains is that there wasn't trails to meet the demand for what riders wanted. So we got a lot of illegal trails getting built. It was kind of ubiquitous across the United States and what it did was it framed mountain bikers in a negative light. It made them look bad to land managers and other community members. The mountain bikers were viewed as the bad seeds and fortunately there, there was a group called IMBA it's the International Mountain Bike Association they were smart about it in the late 90s early 2000s they put together this book called Trail Solutions and it was really great for anybody who wanted to advocate for trails because it's kind of like a little guidebook or bible if you will on how to get good trails built and so that kind of disseminated across the U.S. and and people who wanted mountain bike trails picked that thing up and went to the land managers and said hey look we can do this the right way, let's try. And so there kind of was two groups, I would say, that developed within mountain bike communities, those that were just building their own illegal trails and those that were like, okay, if we're gonna do this right, we're gonna have to kind of plan long-term and took that that book and ran with it.
0: So what did that mean for the development of mountain biking? What would a better version even look like? When Andrew visited a bike-friendly community, he got a glimpse into what was possible.
2: A friend and I, in between our first year and second year in school, went up to a place called Bellingham in Washington, and we moved up there and lived. And up there further north in Washington and uh, Canada and places like that, way more progressive as far as mountain bikes, the acceptance of mountain bikes and mountain bike trails. And so we went up there and we're like, whoa, this is crazy. These trails were amazing. You know, there's like wood feeders and drops and jumps everywhere, all the stuff that you could only dream of seeing in California. Um, You'd get in huge trouble down here if you built anything like that. They were embracing it and what it was creating was a lot of people were moving to the community, a lot of people were traveling to these communities to ride because they didn't have anywhere else to go to do this and it created a lot of positive economic benefits for those communities. So everything we saw up there, we brought back to California with us as far as ideas and we were like, man, it could be so much better here in California, how do we do it? well, let's advocate for it. And so that's what we did. We created a little nonprofit at San Luis Obispo, partnered with the regular trail group, and it was focused on mountain bike features and riding and stuff like that. And so we just, we kind of cultivated that and grew it a little bit and it took off and it was a kind of a Kickstarter for me. Then after I graduated, I kind of traveled around California and Washington working and moved to the coast, Arcata, and was working fisheries hydrology over there. And I found myself, again, struggling to find a place to ride my bike. I was working for a timber company at the time, and they had some land. And I approached the timber company and was like, hey, do you guys, would you be okay if there's some mountain bike trails on your property? And they seemed to be okay with it, and so we, kind of made this proposal and put it together. The long to short from that meeting was they got approval for um, a big area to build purpose-built mountain bike trails on the coast on private land. And that's the first time that's ever happened in California.
0: Today, that unprecedented agreement is being used as a model in Siskiyou County.
2: So they have a proposal right now on the table that I created And it's built from that initial agreement on the coast between the Redwood Coast Mountain Bike Group and Green Diamond Timber Company. And we took that, you know, I asked them like, hey guys, could you pass that agreement my way? I wanna share it with this timber company. I think it creates a great opportunity to open up what we'll call landlocked pieces of land. Hunting has been traditionally the only thing that they've allowed. There's tons of opportunity for recreation. And in fact, when we build the trails, we are creating a boundary. This is a potential fire line. And in order for us to get the equipment in there to build the trails, we brush these corridors out, generally 50 feet in width. You know, like we are really clearing out these corridors from brush. And so we're creating a fuel break. when they cut fire line their job is to remove organic material and dig down to mineral surface and when we build trails that's the name of the game we dig down into a mineral soil move all the organic off and that's how we create sustainable hardened trail so essentially we're building fire lines they're just creative fun fire lines for bikes
0: after the campfire devastated the city of paradise california in 2018 Andrew had a first-hand look at the aftermath and the potential for mountain bike trails to be as practical as they are recreational.
2: The fire in paradise, you know, burned through paradise and it kind of worked its way down towards the foothills of Chico. And there's a big private parcel of land that buffers the east side of Chico. And at the time, I was working for that landowner to develop a potential trail system. I had been in there that year before the fire. And then that fire happened, and I went back in there just to kind of investigate. And what I discovered was that user created trails had been used by the fire crews as backburn locations. Fire teams had gone in on the trails, and then they had backburned up into the fire to stop it from entering Chico. And so I have these photos that I took of, you know, one side is grassland and the other side is burned and right in the middle is the trails. A light bulb went off in my head like, wow, these actually could be used for things like this to protect communities. We've kind of implemented that here in Shasta as we've built trails. The year before we're we're doing construction, we're in there with fire crews. So we generally work with a deadwood crew from Cal Fire. We'll have these crews go in and, and clear out like a 50 foot corridor. You know, we're clearing out massive amounts of manzanita around town as we build these trails. And so they're creating this whole network of access points for fire crews if they ever needed to get in there. You know, as a relatively newer resident of Mount Shasta and seeing the devastation that's occurred in Redding and Paradise and other communities. I love living here, but I'm also very scared. A lot of people I don't know have really made that connection that trees and brush are fuel for fire. You know, they see the beauty of it and they see it's green and so they're like, well, it's not it can't burn, it's green. And I see it daily while we're building trails. I see fire pits every day where there shouldn't be fire pits. I think that there just hasn't been enough focus on education. I'm especially talking to people from urban areas. If you're a visitor, we're stoked that you're here and we want you to have an amazing time and we're gonna help you find all the great places to recreate. But there's some rules to be a good guest This is what we need from you. One is no fire. Like, I know it seems like fire won't start here and that everything's green, but in order for it to stay green, you need to not have fires going. You're gonna devastate the community if you accidentally start a fire. You know, us as community members here really have to protect our area if we want it to stay green.
0: With his new shop, Deadwood Supply Company, Andrew is pursuing his commitment to community education.
2: You know, one of our key things in the shop is information, creating a whole area that's like an information center that's targeted at recreation. It's got maps, it's got where to go, what to do, what not to do, you know, and a big component of that and how and we're going to disseminate this information through the community and try to drive community campaigns of no fire. So the name Deadwood we took from the fire crew, it's a tribute to those crews, They're convict crews. Those guys work so hard all day, cutting brush, cutting brush, cutting brush. And I think they get like a dollar a day or something for their work. And they generally have a good attitude about it. They really help us out. And the reason we're getting all these trails built, a lot of it has to do with the labor that they put into it. That's how we came up with that. And so the idea is, um, we want to improve the community in some cool ways and have a fun business. So it's a social space. It's a lot of like beer on tap, seven or eight taps, but we'll also have a big cooler with individuals. And then the coffee program, we're gonna do um, rotating roasters from around the region. So if, if you like really good coffee, you could come in and get something different, you know, every month or two. Part of the shop too is bike and a paddle shop. Sales, service, rentals. The bike focus, you know, is mountain biking. You know, we're looking to get in front of all the trails that are gonna get built here and providing professional service. You know, you don't go into business, you know, without some kind of goal of making money. But, you know, the whole reason I got into trails and building trails is I wanted to leave a positive change in the world that I live in. Those trails will be enjoyed by tens of thousands of people if not more and long after i'm gone people are going to continue to ride these trails every day every day generations of people but you don't get to directly interact with people you're very much alone it's just you in the forest and that has its own appeal but i also like the social i like talking to people i like helping them live a better life about you come into deadwood because every time you leave you'll feel better about yourself you feel better about your life So now that I'm in this place and making positive changes, you know, you are out there alone digging, but somebody always comes by on their bike and they see you building trails and they say thank you. You know, and it's like, yes, that feels really good. And then you see that person down in town and boom, connection right there. You met somebody new and they see you doing something great and they show you appreciation and you appreciate them, appreciating you and it's just like awesome. It feels really good kind of how I ended up here and why I want to stay. And there's so much potential for development in the right way. I've taken on the recreation side of it trying to develop that recreation infrastructure in partnership with local nonprofits and the land managers in the right way. Really looking long ahead, building sustainable trail networks with good connectivity, that people will want to come and live in these communities because There's great recreation, and when they come, they'll bring their ideas and their positive kind of outlook and energy to the community and help new businesses establish themselves. You know, we have a lot of room for good growth.
0: No matter the technical advancements, the exponential growth of an industry or even an entire economy, at the heart of it, biking will always be a beautifully simple thing a chance to take an adventure, engage with your community, and make lasting memories.
2: It's fun. You know, it feels good. It's and doing it on the dirt or you're riding just to commute. It's just it's so versatile. It's no impact. You feel better. There's just a lot of positives to it.
1: It's pretty amazing. It's a wonderful thing. I think it's a great thing for people's uh, mental and physical well-being. You just feel better. Your body is Oxygenated, and you just—it keeps you thinking clearly. You know, we're meant to—we're meant to kind of run a little harder than we do in modern days. You know, most people are sort of couch surfing most of the time. It's—it's it's nice to get out there. It's good for everything. So, um, I think it's a good way to get connected. Really, um, I just read this saying. It says, "Life is like putting your hand in the stream. That water passes over your hands just once." and never again that's it it's it's that moment and then it's gone so you better really be paying attention when you're going through life whether it's places people relationships you get that one magic moment in life and then it's passed by
0: Thanks for listening, and for more information, check out the links in our show notes. To plan your adventure, visit discoverciskiu.com.